Hi, everybody. Welcome to episode two of The Good, the Bad, and the Wretched. I'm Josh from the Video Graveyard, and I'm sitting here with Chris. Hey, how's it going, everybody? And today we're going to be uh, talking about Stephen King movies, as uh, promised in the last episode. Promises. <laughs> Promises are made to be broken, some say, but we're going to stick with it on this one and uh, talk about the uh, theatrical output of uh, Stephen King and uh, possibly touch on some of the other output. Okay, but as always, we're going to um, first... Um, start off with um things we've uh, been up to since the last podcast so um i haven't been up to a lot i've been uh, working long hours so i haven't had a ton of time to be doing things but uh i did manage to get my hands on the arrow release of uh dario argento's phenomena awesome which was awesome um it was a dvd blu-ray yeah i, I also picked that up yeah, yeah they I picked that, it up thanks they, to you. They had that awesome sale. They had an awesome sale, and I went crazy. Yeah, you always do. I always do. <laughs> anyway, um, it was a. It, um, I haven't seen Phenomena since um, I first saw it on like a bootleg VHS yeah, back I, in I, my tape trading days. I saw it on like the Anchor Bay, hundred and ten minute clamshell VHS. This last time I saw. Oh it, wow! Yeah. Yeah, and I, I picked that up, but as as usual, usual with me, it's sitting unopened somewhere. So um, anyway, I, think... I got this new one, and I was uh, in the mood and excited to watch it, so I checked it out, and uh, yeah, what a what a great flick that was. Yeah, that one is kind of underrated for Argento, I think, because there's a lot of cool stuff in there. Like the main thing I remember is just the whole pool scene, just how nasty that pool oh, scene yeah, is. Oh yeah, like the vat of. Yeah, maggots, maggots and bugs and, and whatever yeah, it was. Mess, and yeah. and the fact that Jennifer Conley went on to like do Labyrinth after that and then got super fucking hot when she got older. <laughs> it's like weird to see her in an Argento film. I was like I guess Asia was too young too young to be in his movies and saw him to get pervy over. That's true. Actually his other daughter, Fiore, I believe her name is, she's actually in it at the very beginning. Oh, she's really? the first the first uh the first victim. Oh, is she the one who runs on the the stair the steps like the outdoor steps, and then there's the shattering glass. Yeah, like it's the, behind yeah, this okay. waterfall. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, okay. Yeah, right. it's super cool. But um, yeah, that was that was Argento's other daughter. Oh, see, I didn't know that. Yeah. See, enlightening <laughs> enlightenment. <laughs> yeah, but the whole movie is really great. Uh, Donald Pleasance is in it, of course, as a wheelchair bound uh, entomologist, and. Um, there's a crazy chimpanzee in it. Well, he's not really crazy. He's actually pretty cute. But he's he, misunderstood. Yeah, misunderstood for <laughs> sure. And uh, doesn't take uh, doesn't take good to some things. Um, what else about it? Um, well, there's also some. It's got a pretty cool soundtrack. It was um, back in the time when Argento was. Um, well, and some other directors were experimenting with playing, putting some metal songs in their in their movies. So, um, Iron Maiden's "Flash of the Blade" comes up twice. Really? Yeah, in uh, two different parts. Uh, huh. One in particular around that pool scene that you were talking about, um, and it fits perfectly. How, how come I don't remember this? I I remember all the metal and demons, but. For some reason, I don't remember meddling in this one. Yeah, it's in there, and it's awesome, and it totally fits the scene. It's really cool. And it actually, Flash of the Blade shows up twice in this What's movie. the song they're playing during the pool scene? It's Flash remember? of the Blade. Oh, it's Flash, Flash of the Blade, Blade okay. twice, but From in Power the pool Slave, right? scene, it's super cool. Yeah. Okay. And um, there's also uh, there's also a Motorhead song in there, but unfortunately, I can't recall which song it is. Killed by death. <laughs> not killed by death. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be awesome. But it's not quite as prominent as Flash of the Blade. 
Anyway, highly recommended uh, that you pick up Phenomena. How's the, how's the transfer on that? Um, I thought it looked good. Um, I did some poking around online after, and um, it sounded like maybe some people were a little fussy about it, but um, I'm not really that that's, fussy. That's not out on Region A, though, is it? It's not. I think Synapse was talking about it, oh, okay. but um, there was like an announcement like over a year ago that Synapse was going to put it out along with uh, Ten Ombre and uh the two demons movies but i've i've got the two demons steel books from synapse but um i haven't seen any of them come out in anything and i haven't seen any of their announcements for those two hmm. um but yeah highly recommended so uh phenomenal fans if you're if you're uh looking to buy it uh pick up the um arrow arrow uh films release region um, free that's region free yeah um, so I also went and saw Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, which, um, I also really liked, um, starring, um, Jason Clark, who I only remember from Zero Dark Thirty. Um. Gary Oldman? What's that? Gary Oldman. Gary Oldman's in it, yeah. And, uh, Felicity, uh, Felicity Carrie Russell? Russell, yeah. She's in it. She's Direct- been in a lot of stuff lately. Yeah, I know. I, I, I know I've seen her again Dark recently. Skies and stuff like oh, that. Oh, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah Dark Skies. Uh, it was directed by Matt Reeves, who did Cloverfield, yep. and Let Me In, the remake of Let the Right One I In, seen which yet. I haven't seen yet either. Um, anyway, I really liked Dawn. Um, I thought it expanded nicely on the um, the setup from Rise of the Planet of the Apes. Um, it really made me think a lot about effects because, um, like, obviously this is majorly cgi and i was obviously comparing it to the originals well, all of caesar is cgi basically yeah it's yeah. that andy circus guy yeah. the same guy yeah. did Gollum. what a career that guy's got eh? well it's his career is basically we're walking around in green suits with balls all over him it's true well he did he he was in a movie um based on a punk rocker named ian dury a couple of years ago i didn't see it but i know he i know he did that and he mm-hmm. wasn't cgi'd out and he was also in a, a movie called the bunker uh, a number of years ago it was a, a british horror movie yeah and he was also in uh the escapist which is like a prison action movie too i believe so oh cool yeah. he's got a pretty cool career anyways but um yeah the movie was really great and um i, I thought it, it clipped along really well i was expecting it to just be giant ape action scenes and yes they were there but um but uh, the story was really, really well told, and I thought the Caesar character for a CGI character was really great. Like, well, Caesar was cool in the first one too. Like yeah. they really did a good job with him on the first one, and did it did it kind of pick up from the whole uh, Golden Gate Bridge stuff at the end of the first one? Was it like is it like a just a, a natural progression for the sequel? Um, it does pick up right after there, but it, it, um, in the opening credit scene, we learn that it's basically a post-apocalyptic world now that there was like this monkey virus that wiped out, Hmm. like, I can't remember the figures, but like a great portion of humanity. So, um, people are like now living in like, you know, they're like, they're living in destroyed San Francisco in city hall, I believe. So um, it's like a post-apocalyptic setting, but um, yeah, I'm always I'm always good with post-apocalyptic. Of course, always. And, and you know the movie, even though it had some moments that were pretty predictable, um, I didn't feel like it took it away, and I had a really good time with the movies. I don't know if I'll be buying it, but um, definitely one worth checking out on the on the big screen. Cool. Um, I also uh, watched the uh, recent uh, Scream Factory release of Cat People. 
um, starring Natasha Kinski and Malcolm McDowell and John Hurd, yep. and directed mm-hmm. by Paul Schrader. And you reviewed it on site? I did review it on the video graveyard. Um, and it was a pretty cool movie. Um, actually, a lot cooler than I remembered. Uh, maybe because I didn't understand it when I was, um, well, you yeah. know, 13 <laughs> trying to, you know, see some nudity. And a lot of really... heavy sexual, like, yeah. perversion in that movie. Yeah, and incest. Yeah. And, yeah, there's some bondage. It's... I only remember one scene from that entire movie, and that's just Ed Bagley as the, like, zookeeper getting his arm ripped off yeah. by the panther. And isn't it the panther is actually the transformed Malcolm McDowell? Yes. Yeah, right. That's, yeah, all, I, that's all I remember. And it's a nasty gag like that uh arm ripping still looks nasty now and then there's a shot right after it of the like the like waves of blood going over kinsky's shoes her white shoes oh, okay and once you see that it'll bring you right and wasn't back. like wasn't is it annette uh what's the the redheaded girl's name oh yeah um she was lana lang in superman 3 and she's married to the david saint hubbins from spinal tap <laughs> If you're going to be married to anybody, you might as well be married to him. Yeah, you're right. It's Annette something. Okay, well, regardless, I remember she has a pretty hefty nudity scene in that movie, too, if I recall right. Yeah, it was, uh, yeah. It was uh, she, she was getting changed to go swimming. It was actually one of the few scenes that was a throwback to the original cat people from the 40s. Um, and, uh, yeah, she, she definitely uh, takes her top off and uh, shows the goods. So, you know, incest, toplessness, and arm rippings. You kind of can't go wrong that much. On yeah, that there's one. a lot of toplessness. And Kinski actually shows full frontal. And who else is naked? Lynn Lowry's naked. She was in The Crazies and I Drink Your Blood. She plays a prostitute and her um, her bra like magically pops open. It's really weird. <laughs> this actually. is getting pretty pervy, right? <laughs> it is getting kind of pervy. But um, yeah, anyway, it's a great movie. And yeah, Malcolm McDowell is really sleazy. Um, he he plays sleazy really well and uh watching him mac on his sister is particularly creepy but uh anyway great flick and uh john hurt is a vastly underrated actor and you'll really see that here he really he really carries the movie well and uh anyway i'd recommend it if you're a fan of uh kind of weird erotica stuff with people that change into cats Hmm. and there's some good makeup effects too um and then the the other thing i saw is um on the uh, re-release of uh, the Manson Family, uh, Jim Van Beber's film, um, he's got a. There's a new short film by Van Beber called Gator Green, um, and it's basically about these uh, war vets who run this bar and uh, kind of snap and feed people to alligators. And I gotta say, I was pretty disappointed. I'm a huge fan of Van Beber's work. I've liked everything I've seen, but this one just seemed. Uh, yeah, it just seemed like he wasn't that into it. Um, I might be wrong. I know he's always had a struggle getting getting funding, um, but it just seemed to lack some of the passion of his of his other stuff. Like Deadbeat at Dawn is is a great flick, um, super entertaining uh, gang flick. Uh, Manson Family, of course, is one of my favorite movies in the last uh, ten years, and um, even the short films. Um, uh, My Sweet Satan's based on the Ricky Casso case. It's pretty. Uh, pretty uh it hits you pretty hard so he's he's a great filmmaker but um yeah i'm not sure what what happened here yeah his his struggles with getting movies made is pretty legendary like everyone 
I have not seen any of his movies, and even I know about his struggles to get his stuff out there and made. And maybe it's just because his subject matter is so, like, intense. A lot of cases like Deadbeat at Dawn and Man's Family, pretty intense subject matter. So, I mean, that might hinder him getting the funding he needs, I think. Yeah, like Deadbeat at Dawn, or sorry, Manson Family, to me, will always be his, like, quintessential film. But you're right, he took, I think he took over 10 years, maybe even longer, to make that movie. And I he just researched it. I think he lived and breathed Charlie Manson for all that time. And it shows. I mean, the thing is epic. But it it's like it took everything out of him. It's like he's got nothing left. Um, and it's too bad, but I, I hope he gets it. I hope he gets it back together. Um, I think the intent of the short film that's on that DVD was to get funding for a feature. Um, I just a based, feature based on the short, based on the short oh, film. Okay. But from what I saw in the short film, I kind of hope he takes some money and does something else because um, it just wasn't my cup of tea. Okay. But um, that's that's what I've been up to. How about you, Chris? Well, I don't have a lot really. Um, First thing I want to mention, and everyone's been talking about this because it's been making its rounds, is uh, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. 40th anniversary restored. That's touring around from Dark Sky Films. I saw that a couple weeks back now, I think it would be. And uh, let me tell you what a treat that was. I mean, when Texas Chainsaw is my top horror movie along with Halloween and to be able to see this movie on a big screen and see it in this restored print is just an astounding thing. Um, you don't realize just how well made that movie is. I mean, it was made for piddly money under half a million dollars by first time filmmakers with a cast of unknowns, basically. And the power behind that movie is still just there. Like taste. You can taste the, the dread of of Marilyn Burns's Sally Hardesty character. Um, the thing that's most striking about it is the photography, like Daniel Pearl's photography, because there's so many striking shots in that movie that you would not see in a low budget movie, and it's just it's astounding to see that. And with the transfer, which is awesome because it's a 4K transfer, it's still gritty. They didn't wipe grain. They didn't make it look all pretty. It's still the Texas Chainsaw Massacre you remember on your media VHS tapes back in the day. So it doesn't take away from that because that would be my biggest no, concern. No, it, it, it does not. It's very well done. And the sound mix on it now is pretty amazing because they did 7.1 Dolby. And what, is, what does 4K mean for people who don't know? 4K, it's just 4,000. Like, I'm not 100% sure. Usual Blu-rays are done in 2K, which is 2,000 kilobytes, I guess. Okay. And 4K is just doubling that. It's just, it's the highest right now that they can basically transfer something to Blu-ray. Well, like how is the lighting? Because I know, I know a lot of the transfers I've seen at Texas Chainsaw. The nighttime the scenes night are scenes not are, too dark. Yeah, you can't even You can see tell what's, what's going, going on. on now. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. I mean, it's a very good print and I cannot wait for that Blu-ray that's coming out, even though I'm not going to buy that insane four disc edition with the replica Black Maria uh, cattle chicken truck right that comes with the leather face apron and all that stuff and uh just like to also mention this is kind of a news thing that i can mention because i'm talking about texas chainsaw is um the passing of marilyn burns yeah that was a hit it's a very sad thing she wasn't in a lot of stuff um she was in texas chainsaw 3d recently but the thing about her was 
if you're going to start your career with a movie, you might as well start it with Texas Chainsaw. <laughs> and I really do truly think she's the first original Scream Queen. Well, um, that's debatable. You but... might argue with me, but this is my opinion. And I But think... she certainly knew how to scream probably better well, than anyone up to that point. She got the shit beat out of her in that movie. Yeah. And it was so convincing the way that they did it. It's not a happy-go-lucky film. It's not one of those slasher movies where all of a sudden everything's good in the world. That movie, then nothing is good in the world by the end of it. Yeah, it's brutal. Yeah. It's a brutal movie. That, um, that set looks kind of cool. Like, um, I know some of the... Uh, box art that's been coming out recently about it um it, it looks kind of cardboardy but i heard that it's going to be a little sturdier than the pictures that have been released wow. to date i'm buying it i just not going to buy that special edition i don't think yeah i want something that i can fit on my shelf yeah and a big giant <laughs> fake yeah i know it's like those anchor bay tents chicken like... <laughs> truck that's not going to work for me yeah um and, and then burns also just on a side note with her mm-hmm. she was also in um in the uh, TV movie of Helter Skelter, speaking yep. of Manson, playing Linda Kasabian. And I thought that was actually a really great role for her as well. Um, probably her second best role, in my opinion. Was she in Future Kill? She was in Future Kill in a really small part. She was in Eaten Alive. Yeah. In a, I think she had a bigger part in Eaten Alive. And I think she was in The Fun House, even though I haven't seen it. But yes. um, She worked with, with Tobey Hooper a lot. Yeah, she did. Yeah. Okay, and from there... Um... I watched a little documentary on Netflix called The Battered Bastards of Baseball, which I'm going to mention simply because it's such a cool story. Um, It's about a single-A baseball team in the 70s in Portland, Oregon, called the Portland Mavericks. Um, Why this is cool to me is that they were an independent baseball club, which does not happen, and... The original team, they had a triple-A team in Portland. That team pulled out, and Bing Russell, the actor who was in Bonanza, Kurt Russell's dad, brought this baseball <laughs> you team. You're Kurt Russell I obsession. I freaking love Kurt Russell, okay? <laughs> they brought this team into Portland, did it independently, signed all their own players, went against the league, did whatever they had to do. Bing Russell ran it. He said, I'm giving people a chance who were rejected by big baseball clubs to come in and play the town actually got behind him 100%. They pulled it off. It was great. Kurt Russell actually did play on the team briefly. Wow. Because he did have a baseball career before acting and it was shortened by a shoulder injury. I believe it was, but it was just a cool story. It, it, it just showed the human side of like actors and things like that. Cause Bing Russell, he was in so much stuff. He was in a lot of Westerns and stuff like that. And his first obsession was baseball. And it was great that he was able to take this obsession for baseball and give it back to this town, this to Portland, and say, okay, this is, it was kind of like a Bad News Bears kind of story in a way. That's cool. And, and he was in, they were only there for five years because with the success they were having, the, the actual Major League Baseball said, wait a minute, we can't have this independent club coming in and doing this. They went and they bought him out. Oh. And there's nothing he could do about it. And that was sad, but it's a very great documentary. Lots of cool stuff in there. Lots of Kurt Russell. And we know I love <laughs> me some Kurt Russell. Wow. So check that out. If it's on Netflix streaming, because it's a Netflix original and it was a lot of lot of fun. I didn't even know Kurt Russell's dad was an actor. Yeah, Bing Russell. He yeah. was in Bonanza and a whole bunch of other stuff. Huh. And um, the only other thing I have to mention for what I've been up to is... I've been reading a comic book called Spread, 
which is put out by Image Comics. It's written by Justin Jordan with art by Kyle Strom. Um, issue two came out last week. Kind of like, think post-apocalyptic The Thing meets Mad Max. It's about a guy whose name is No, because that was one of the few words he uttered at first, who is going across this wasteland fighting these kind of tentacly gross alien things. And at the same time, there's all these roving gangs, kind of like Mad Max. But he's has to protect this baby. And the baby is very important to humanity because its tears kill these monsters. So it sounds like there might be another influence there, too. Like what? Maybe like Children of Men? Possibly Children of Men yeah. as well, yeah. But I mean, it's it's very good. It's The art is good. It's very kinetic and quick. And I'm just getting back into comics after a little bit of a way off of them. And it's it's a great starting point for me. And I just wanted to recommend it because I think it's really cool. And with there only being two issues out there, it's easy for you to go pick up. Cool. And what's it called again? Spread. Spread. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that's it for me. I haven't really have anything else to report on the viewing watching front. Great. Well, um, I guess we'll get into some uh, news items that have happened since our, our last uh, chat here. Um, so I guess one of the big ones with horror nerds right now is uh, that Eli Roth's Green Inferno has um, seemingly been pulled from <laughs> been pulled from theatrical release at this point over some sort of dispute. Um, sounds like maybe between the uh, president of the company and former the, president, former of president company. of the company and the company. It's basically a load of bullshit yeah and you know i'm so excited for september 5th where i could see eli roth pull off his cannibal holocaust homage and they fucking pissed on my dreams (laughs) well i haven't heard anything that it's not gonna come out i've heard it i just heard it's in limbo now i've heard it's probably gonna go vod Oh, wow, eh? Which is not cool because I want to see it. It's been so long since the Eli Roth has made a horror movie. Yeah, I mean, what, Hostel, Hostel 2, 2 in yeah. 06 was his last horror movie. So it's Eli Roth. We know he can do the gross out. Plus, it's also got cannibals. <laughs> what more do you need? And activists getting eaten. Well, yeah, well, they all deserve <laughs> to be eaten anyway. So that's oh, all come now. Some yeah. of them are good. Yeah, okay. I just think it's kind of funny. But um, I guess I guess the thing is though, like, um, if it doesn't come out theatrically, is has Eli Roth come out on this at all? Like, is he is he just keeping his mouth shut? He's just kind of saying like, "Don't worry, guys, something will happen." That's okay. all he's really said. According, like, from what I've seen on Twitter and things like that. He just said, thanks for support. We're trying to sort this out. Yeah, it's too bad. He's he's uh, definitely someone someone I've been watching and been excited about as well. So at least we're going to get to see the movie. He's, he shot it. It's done. Yeah. It's played in festivals and uh, just, got, just needs just, to come to the public. I just would have loved to have seen it on this big screen instead of on my 42-inch TV. Yeah. Um, okay, so I mean, the other another big thing that happened this week... Unfortunately, is Sharknado two premiered last week? <laughs> that's that's unfortunate. <laughs> and um, which I I don't know. I haven't seen Sharknado yet. Um, I still don't get it. I I mean, it's the asylum. I just don't understand. Maybe I'm missing out on something big here, but uh, I, I, you're not. Sharknado was just one of those weird lightning in a bottle moments for the asylum. It's like I've seen it, 
it's not good. It's entertaining because it's not good. But I don't know. Everyone still seemed as enamored of Sharknado 2. Like everyone was tweeting about it when it was on and acting like, oh, yeah, this is great. And I just don't see them being able to pull from that well twice. Yeah, and I don't I don't understand like what like I mean I guess it's kind of a cool idea, but um I mean there's been a bazillion shark movies that were just as shitty CG as this one with like Sharktopus and Mega Shark and Super Shark and shark, Snow Shark, shark Attack and, 3 Megadolon yeah, or whatever the fuck is I can't say it right Megdalon, now. yeah. I just don't know what's making this one. Maybe it's Tara Reid. Maybe everyone's, you know, remembering american pie when has tara reed ever well i just don't understand like to watch a fucking movie people that would never watch oh, something like this Jesus are watching Christ. this shit and i don't She's get the it. worst thing about american pie movies though. i know but i don't oh. know I, well i'm trying to figure it out is it well what is it steve from 90210 maybe ian zierling like <laughs> i don't know <laughs> what the story is um anyway sharknado 3 has been announced so yay yay Looking, looking forward to that for next year. Hooray. <laughs> All right. Um, I also want to talk about um, Rob Zombie. Now, again, um, I, I, I don't know what... Yeah, I, I think he's sort of... <laughs> <laughs> every movie's been getting worse. That's what I was trying to say there. Um, so he's got a new movie called 3-1 that he's um, trying to raise money through crowdfunding. And... Okay, so the the plot sounds kind of cool. I don't even know what the plot the is. The plot is about people getting abducted. Wow, shocking for Rob Zombie. And um, being put into like some... It's sort of like a game game show okay. where they have to like survive. So it's like from, The Running Man. Sounds like a Running Man. And it also sounds a lot like a Canadian movie called Slashers. Oh, yeah. And do you have your have you seen Slashers, Slashers with its awesome theme song? Yeah, that one. Anyway, that's a good. That's a pretty good flick if you can find it uncut. Anyway, um, so Rob Zombie's movie sounds like kind of like slashers, kind of like Running Man, except the the killers are all clowns. Um, wow. No, I don't know. I mean, if I didn't know it was Rob Zombie, Such I might be excited. Overwrought cliche clowns in horror movies. It is, but I still kind of like that concept of people being trapped and in some sort of game situation and killers after them. So it's like Saw meets Running Man. Kind of. Okay. I don't know. All right. Anyway. anyway, he's doing this crowdfunding thing and it's weird because he's he hasn't really put a budget that I could see. You're not able to see how much he's made and the perks I thought weren't that great. But I guess good luck to him. He's got his fan base and... Um, I just the other thing uh, about this that I want to talk about is Rob Zombie has made some movies. He's made some mistakes. He divided his crowd when he made the Halloween sequel or the uh, ha- Halloween remake. He definitely remake. divided me when he made the Halloween movies. Yeah, and then um, and he's he's recently been on record saying he's not not doing any more horror movies. And then the next thing I heard was that he was doing some sort of Manson TV show. Yeah. Um, with Brett Easton Ellis. Yep. And now he's making another horror movie. So I just don't, well, I just don't I, get that. I remember hearing he was going to make a Blob remake without a fucking Blob in it. Right. And so. then he was also doing some dinosaur thing, too. I mean, Rob Zombie, better musician, I guess. I don't know. I haven't seen Lords of Salem, so I can't say anything about that. But those Halloween movies were a total stumble. And I don't want to call him out for talent because I think he's a good director for visual 
He's a very strong visual sense. Um, I just, I'd like to say that this whole crowdfunding thing for him is a bit strange since he's worth lots of money. He could fund it himself if he really needed to. He's got a name behind him that if he needed a low budget movie, he could find the funding from movie companies. And I find it weird that he doesn't have let people know how much money he's made. I find that to be a little bit sketchy. Yeah, I just find the whole thing sketchy. Like, anyway, we'll see what happens. I'll probably see it. But like you, I haven't seen Lords of Salem. Maybe we both gave up on him. Maybe we should just rent it one day and watch it together or something. Maybe. Yeah, I, I don't know. Anyway, interesting. Um, another thing I, I found out about this week is that um, Universal Studios has decided that they're going to jump on the let's make a movie of a universe ba- uh, bandwagon, sort of like the Avengers. or um, Well, yeah, sort of like the Avengers. Um, and they've announced that they're going to be doing something similar with their monsters. So apparently they're going to be starting to revamp and reboot all of the classic monsters, the universal monsters with the hopes that it's going to become like the Avengers where like (laughs) each monster has its own movie and then, then there'll be like a crossover movie. Yeah. Oh man, they should get Steven Summers to direct it because he did (laughs) so well with Van Helsing. (laughs) Well, I'm really... Not sure what to think of this. I mean, I'm obviously a huge fan of the old Universal Horror Monsters. Um, Creature from the Black Lagoon's my favorite. You know, Dracula. Oh, that's with my favorite, too. Bela Lugosi, Frankenstein with Boris Karloff. I mean, we all know these guys. Lon Chaney Wolfman. So the people behind this are Alex Kurtzman and Chris Morgan. So Kurtzman has uh, done writing and, and been involved with the new Star Trek movie. As well as some of the Transformers movies and Spider-Man, The Amazing Spider-Man Part 2. And then uh, Chris Morgan's been involved with the Fast and the Furious movies. So I'm not sure what to think here because I think it could go either way. It could go the Steven Summers way. People can't see my eyes rolling. No, but maybe you never know. Maybe, Maybe they'll go Masters of Horror way and get some really great directors to to do this. I just... I think they should just go no way and just leave it. I kind of agree. I mean, Frankenstein is always going to be Boris Karloff to me. Even Christopher Lee couldn't pull it off and Robert De Niro couldn't pull it off. Like, it's just Boris Karloff. That's it. Although on that flip coin, I think Christopher Lee pulled off Dracula better than Lugosi. So. Maybe. Maybe. I mean, that's kind of like a Bond question like i think it's kind of a which one did you see first i saw lugosi first and i still think christopher lee was better yeah well i think christopher lee okay christopher lee was better like the christopher lee dracula movies are better okay thank you than the bella one thank you but when i think of dracula i think bella i guess so yeah i guess you have a point so that's the image made it the iconic that's the image that's mostly yeah. familiarized with dracula admittedly yes. and i think all the universal monsters when you think of those guys that's who i think of when i think right. of the wolfman i think of lon cheney not not benicio del toro <laughs> don't don't get me started don't get me started okay the last news item i wanted to bring up was um the trailer for mad max fury road oh, came out shit. at comic-con and um, it's it's been making the rounds online. So oh, this is yeah. a new Mad Max movie directed by George Miller, who did the other ones. Um, no n- Mel Gibson, though. <laughs> no Tina Turner either. No, thank <laughs> God. But um, so this one stars Tom Hardy, 
who was Bane in Dark Knight Rises, as well as Charlize Theron. And she Nick, looks pretty badass with that short crew cut. I didn't realize head. it was her until I was doing the research for this oh, review. She looks so badass. For this podcast. She does, eh? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I have to watch it again, but I, when I watched it the first time, it looked pretty great. Um, and I guess who else is it? Nicholas Holt, who's um, Beast in the new X Men movies. And uh, I think Lenny Kravitz's daughter, Zoe, is in it. Okay. Don't know. Anyway, it looks it looks pretty cool. I I, um, I thought the trailer looked really exciting, and um, I'm pretty stoked. I've been hearing it might be PG-13. That's the only drawback. But we'll see. Oh, that was sorry. That was what you call uncomfortable silence. Um, I, I really hope not, because that trailer is an R. Should be an R. Yeah, it's you know, a pretty awesome trailer though. Yeah, so I guess we'll see what happens. Maybe they'll do the old, let's release it PG-13, and then we'll put an uncut version out, and I hate that. Anyway, I guess we'll see what happens. But for right now, the trailer will pretty kick-ass. Mm-hmm. And PG-13's lightened up lately anyways. That's true. It's, not, it's not, as, not as much of a black mark as it was it used to be. All right, so Chris, do you have anything else you want to bring up? I just have a couple things for news, three items that I thought was pertinent. The first thing is a quick one. I just want to congratulate James Gunn for Guardians yeah. of the Galaxy for just kicking some ass with that movie. That's the guy who deserves it. Guy starts out with Troma, writes Tromeo and Juliet, co-writes Lloyd Kaufman's book, Make Your Own Damn Movie, goes on and makes Slither, which is the most underrated monster movie of the 2000s, in my opinion. And then yeah. he goes and kicks some ass with this Guardians of the Galaxy. And I haven't seen it, but I'm so stoked to see it. Yeah, it's pretty great that he's finally getting some someone cool like that. Like, James Gunn hasn't lost his roots. He seems just as cool as he did when I first found out about him. Okay. And then I also would like to go back to your Comic-Con about the Mad Max and that. Um, we all know, people who know me know that me and Scream Factory, Shout Factory, have a very, very good... I love these guys. They don't really seem like they can do too much wrong to me. They announced their tight upcoming titles at Comic-Con as well. And a lot of them have me scratching my head. Um, for example, New Year's Evil, The Dark Half, Candyman 2 have me scratching my head. Well, New Year's Evil hasn't been out on a disc, has it? No, but I mean, well, it's, that's cool. it's a terrible movie. Well... At and, least, it's, at least it's something new. And I mean, and it just seems like they're buying up whatever MGM has on their HD streaming service, and then putting it on Blu-ray in a way. Um, I am excited about the Escape from New York Collector's yeah, see, we're Edition that way because I'm not excited and, about that. And I believe it's Mad, they're doing Mad Max Collector's Edition but that, too. It's already come out. Like I know it's Blu-ray. I know, but it's already come out Collector's Edition. Like, but if you know how much work they put into their Collector's Editions. They'll be good. But I feel like what else can I know about Escape from New York? Well, I guess so. But I'm, I just found it to be a weird batch of titles is what I'm saying. I think I totally agree with you on the Candyman 2. I mean, why would you put out Candyman 2 and not Candyman well, 1? they probably can't get the rights to Candyman 1 because it's Columbia. But still, I, I don't get it. And uh, the last thing I would like to bring up, which is the most tragic thing for me, is the fact that Menahem Golan from Canon passed away. Um, if you're in our age bracket, you know, Canon films, you loved Canon films. <laughs> Golan Globus was a name you knew from the beginning of a movie. Cause it was always a Golan Globus presentation or a Golan Globus production. Um, 
Cannon's responsible for some great friggin' movies in the 80s. We're talking American Ninja, Invasion USA. We're talking Breakin', Breakin' 2 Electric Boogaloo. We're talking all kinds of awesome, Missing in Action. So many awesome movies came from Cannon. Menham Golan, he knew what was going to sell, and he delivered us B-movie goodness all the damn time. So yeah. he will be definitely be missed. Yeah, it's a big it's a big loss for everyone and unfortunately we're getting to that age where some of these guys have uh they're getting up there and uh yeah, we need to support them as much as we can and uh keep them alive in our memory because yeah, Golden Globus it's like it's like the Hannah Barbera of my teen years. <laughs> Most definitely. <laughs> Most definitely. Yeah. And that's all I have for news. Great. All right, so we'll uh we'll get right into the Stephen King stuff now. Um so uh, what we wanted to talk about is just uh, basically the theatrical output of Stephen King. So we all know Stephen King's uh, world-renowned author, probably the most successful he's, I author. I think he's the best-selling author in history. In history, okay. Yeah. So early, in, uh, early on in King's career, um, filmmakers just figured out that they could make movies of his books and make money. Well, he also has a very easy to adapt writing style i think right yeah it's interesting though how king's movies have especially in the horror genre have gotten so big though because i just find there is a lot of writers out there that write a lot of great books but they've never been optioned they've never come out the way king's have it's either that well it could also be like certain authors don't want their stuff to be made into movies too and i think steve just was like go for it man i don't care whatever and i think that's why there's so many is that he didn't really i guess he treasures his work but i still feel that he's like well if i can if you want to make my work into a movie then i'm not going to really complain too much i mean he's very little times during his career and his life has he complained about an adaptation of one of his one of his books and i'm sure we're going to hit on the one that is the biggest (laughs) one later but but i mean that's just probably what it is because remember he was a struggling school teacher when Carrie first came out and you know good on him yeah he's made he's made this awesome career out of something he loves to do it's pretty great and and like the the movies to me like they were they were a subgenre. well and still kind of are but I, certainly in yeah, the 80s they I, I were... always had that joke and I've used <laughs> the joke on reviews before that Stephen King could write a brief plot summary, two sentences on a napkin while eating dinner and someone would make it into a movie. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. I mean, it was, a, it was a subgenre unto itself back, back when we were growing up and really when I was really getting into movies oh, yeah. in particular horror e- movies, every year you were guaranteed pretty much a new movie and they were big. This was a mm-hmm. big deal. These weren't like popping up on the video store shelves at that point. These were like major theatrical releases and, um, you know, just, I mean, we're going to go through a bunch of them, but I mean, if you look at like the directors attached to Stephen King movies, like a lot of the sort of genre favorites were involved. Um, you know, a lot of great actors were in, were in the adaptations. So they weren't, these weren't low budget movies. These were big movies and, um, yeah, they were hit and miss and, uh, their heyday was certainly in the, in the eighties. There's been a few, um, in the nineties and two thousands that have, you know, been noteworthy. I mean, it's certainly not what it used to be, but um, it was a pretty big subgenre. I know other podcasts and other people have talked about this same thing, but I mean, it was a big part of our of our youth, and um, I, we just thought it would be cool to just sort of remember all the all the ones we loved. Well, and- yeah, I feel like when you were 
growing up in the 80s, which we did, um, you could always kind of count on a Stephen King movie. And you always knew what you were getting into most of the time with a Stephen King movie. You knew that it would be a certain type of movie, certain things would happen. and But it would be exciting because there was this guy, you'd be reading his books, which I read pretty much his entire you know, repertoire when I was in high school and early before high school. And it'd be cool because you could read the books and pretty yeah. much go see the movie right away. It, it wouldn't matter what it was. There was just so much out there. And I mean, I don't think there's anybody who's being adapted as much as him in the history of authors either. Yeah, I was trying to think about that too. And yeah, there's, there's just not. So there's I mean, just not. Many. It was just the thing for us being able to go to the video store and see his name. And you'd also, you would usually be guaranteed to have a decent night at the movies especially in the heyday for yeah. sure yeah so i'm just gonna start putting them out there and um we can talk about them okay. and chris whatever keep it loose. loose but um yeah i mean i just i'm just gonna start to talk about my favorites yep um so first one that came to mind for me is creep show yep um so creep show is not based on a novel it's based on short stories that and i believe king wrote them specifically for the movie yeah, Creepshow was just uh, an original work that he took his love of EC Comics of the 50s, teamed up with George Romero, and gave us this anthology flick that has got quite quite a beloved anthology flick now. It's pretty great. I, I remember seeing it when I was young. Um, Romero was, I think, between Dawn and Day when this came out. Yep. And... Um, Sorry, Dawn of the Dead and Day of the Dead. Yep. And um, he just, he also, they, 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 they seem to really click those two on this one. Well, they yeah. both knew what they were doing. It's very much a love of, of comic well, yeah, books they, for both yeah. of them. And they were both at that age where they grew up with those EC comics. And in the when those came yep. out, they were such a big deal because there was nothing like that with all this outrageous violence and stories of revenge and rotting corpses and that. I mean very conservative back in the 50s when they first came out so they totally touched a pulse and you can see their influence in more than just Stephen King and George Romero their influence goes all the way down the line to all those guys who were making the movies in the 80s that we loved yeah and it's great it was great to see I always find when when with movies like this when they're kind of campy like this but when you can tell that everyone involved was really into it and doing it because they really wanted to and you can totally see that through this movie oh yeah and the style of it too making it so that there was things that were set up to be in within drawn comic panels and just the color schemes and just yeah. all that kind of the stuff flipping page yep. yeah really cool yeah cool and it had a cool wraparound story um i believe king's son is the kid yep, that you see joe what's his name he calls him he's joe hill now and he writes some very amazing novels and comics such as horns and lock and key and all that if you want to check those out nice and uh um, mr tom atkins tom was atkins the dad. is the asshole dad yeah and what an asshole he was oh he was and then, you know, right off the bat, we have Tom Savini as a garb. Or no, he was in the, maybe, no, he was at the Tom beginning. Tom Savini was, he was just. was like garbage man. He was playing a garbage at man. At the very there. end. And, uh, but Tom Savini did all the effects for this yep. as well in his heyday. Yep. And um, including one of his most beloved effects, which is uh, from one of the stories, um, The Crate. There's a sort of Tasmanian devil werewolf monster that um, 
that uh, I think it's called Lu- I think Tom Savini calls it Lucy or something. But, yeah, something like that. But yeah, so that's um, that's one of uh, Savini's best known gags. Um, so the yeah, the stories I find they're all pretty solid. Um, everyone yeah. has their favorite. That's yeah, that's the thing. Everyone, what, what's yours? My favorite, yeah, I, I go all over the place. Um, I'd probably say the lonesome tale of Jordy Verrill, which is the, probably the least liked, which just is because the le- of King's campy performance <laughs> so and all that stuff. Campy. Meteor shit. It's so funny though, and but, it's so depressing though. Yeah, and but I, it's it's great. You're I, right. Like that isn't one of my favorites. My favorite so, is sorry. King plays himself in this in this episode. It's just Stephen King playing himself, or not sorry, not playing himself, but he's the actor. Yeah, in Jordy this. Verrill. He he's plays the Jordy Verrill, playing which is Jordy Verrill. Kind of he's this guy who turns farmer. into a plant, basically. Yeah. My favorite is they're creeping up on you, right? With E.G. Marshall as a um, germaphobe, rich asshole who uh, some cockroaches get into his apartment, his hermetically sealed apartment, and things happen. Not pleasant things. No. And that's my favorite, and it's mostly because of the gag at the end. Yeah. Yeah. I like. I always like that the uh, the guy that keeps calling up there, that black guy. Oh, yeah. So super hilarious. Yeah. But yeah. that's totally unwilling to help him. Everybody <laughs> has their favorite stories. And yeah. The other ones are, uh, there's a zombie tale called Father's Day with uh, Ed Harris. Yep. There's um, a sort of re- revenge tale about uh, sort of sea monsters, yeah, something zo- to tie you over. Yeah, something to tide you over. Leslie Nielsen, Ted Danson, and uh, Galen Ross from Dawn of the Dead. That's a good story. Too. Yeah. So yeah, a great, great time. Um, if you're, I mean, I think some people, if you recommended Creepshow right now, might think it's too campy, might not get it. I don't love Creepshow as much as a lot of people, but it is an enjoyable time for sure. Yeah, and if you're into comics and you're into B movies, it's it's pretty much. I, mean, I, ca- I even like the sequel, kind of. So, you know. Yeah, the sequel's got its moments. I mean, the raft is is a great, yeah, great uh, little segment in the sequel. It's about this raft that goes out on, on this lake with these uh, teenagers on it, and then there's this like weird tar substance in the lake that basically eats it enjoys them. human flesh. Yeah, but yeah, the creep shows pretty cool little. Uh, capsule of that time for us yeah so the first one's definitely the best um but there is yeah and the sequel's pretty good as well oh and there's that uh thanks for the ride lady Mm. there's uh there's an episode in the sequel that's pretty memorable yeah yeah so the sequel's recommended as well i'd say anyway i enjoyed the sequel too great so that's uh well that's my that's my first pick yeah so uh chris why don't you throw one out there well i'm gonna go with the obvious one first which is his first one which is carrie uh, the reason Carrie is awesome is because no one knew who Stephen King was at the time, and you know, no I don't even think about it, right? Like, of course, there was a time when no one knew who Stephen King yeah, was, and, yeah. and no one really knew who Brian De Palma was who directed it. Right? He had just done like you know, High Mom with uh, Robert De Niro, and he had done Phantom of the Paradise before he did Carrie. He hadn't really done anything really. He hadn't done Dress to Kill. He hadn't done Body Double. He hadn't wow, done yeah. Blowout. He hadn't done all those movies that everyone knows him to do and then he's picked to do this carry movie and he just fucking rocks it yeah like brian de palma rocked that story like the thing about stephen king is he always has these um beats in his movies where it's a lot of them are about youth bullying and things like that and this is about carrie white who's like kind of this mawkish girl who gets bullied all the time but she has secret telekinetic powers 
So she's dealing with bullies at school, but she's also dealing with her overzealous, highly religious mother, played by Piper Laurie at home. So right. in between being beaten the shit out of at school all the time, she's getting beaten the shit out of at home by her religious mom. And she's kind of an ugly duckling. And there's always this alienation theme that runs through a lot of Stephen King's stuff. Yeah. And uh, basically, De Palma just takes it. He makes it into him and screenwriter Lawrence Cohen make it into this really well done like high school picture like there's not a lot of horror going on in that movie for the first hour or so and it's just about carrie being awkward and that and then you know you have nancy allen is like a super bitch she sure was who 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 picks on her all the time but then you've also got amy irving who was in that crowd but feels kind of bad so she gets her boyfriend to invite Carrie to the prom and you know shit's going down at the prom and the way that it's staged by De Palma is just brilliant because he uses slow motion he uses split screens right. he uses yeah. colors he uses there's so much memorable stuff in that movie and it's just it's definitely my top three favorite Stephen King movies for sure yeah it's pretty great I mean the classic scene of the pig's blood and yeah William Cat and <laughs> yeah greatest American hero himself <laughs> and everybody Everybody likes that shock ending, even yeah. though it wasn't in the book. Yeah, not, even though it was on the Evil Dead poster. But. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, way to spoil it for people, man. I'm sure well, there's what? people out there who haven't seen Carrie yet. Oh, well, it's not that. And I must throw in here that I did see the new Carrie with uh, Chloe Moritz, Grace, Chloe Grace Moritz, and uh, Julianne Moore, and it wasn't terrible. It was actually pretty watchable. Really? And considering I love Carrie so much, I was so anti-remake at the time. But then I remembered it had been remade in 2002 for TV2 with Angela Bettis from May. So, you know, I kind of let it slide. But it wasn't bad. But Chloe Grace Moritz is no Sissy Spacek, and Julianne Moore is no Piper Laurie. That's for goddamn sure. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well... All right, so we got Creepshow, we got Carrie so far. So, um, well, the next one I'll talk about is um, another one of my favorites f- from the time was uh, Christine. Yes, Which very is good. directed by John Carpenter, and it's about a car that is possessed yep. and um, basically can drive by itself. Yeah. And yeah. basically um, there's this nerdy kid who buys the car and the car ends up kind of possessing him. Yeah, he kind of goes from like this awkward teen, which is, you know, there goes that Stephen King theme again. Yeah. And uh, he becomes kind of like a 50s greaser because the car is a 57 Chevrolet Fury. Fury. Plymouth Fury. Plymouth yeah. Fury, sorry, not Chevrolet. Yeah. And yeah, it's, uh, to get John Carpenter direct one of your movies is pretty pretty <laughs> sweet deal considering that John Carpenter, when that came out in 83, was on such a freaking roll. Yeah. He had just made The Thing the year before, which was badly, got bad reviews when it came out, but we all know and love The Thing now. Yeah. And, you know, he had Escape from New York, he had Halloween, he had all that. And to for him, the work with King was just great. Oh, yeah, it was. And, and Keith Gordon was awesome in that movie. Keith he, Gordon was great. He, he <laughs> went from like, being just this total nerd to being like this kind of badass don't fuck with me kind of guy and that was of the influence of christine and there was some pretty awesome effects in that movie too like where christine has run down some of the gang and then rebuilds herself by pushing out all the dents and everything right oh yeah pretty awesome pretty awesome like effects like that in that movie as well 
and uh yeah and the, well, I mean, the whole cast was pretty good. I mean, with Keith Gordon in particular, mm-hmm. I mean, it was it was interesting because he did get really badass and he was an asshole. Yeah. But you still kind of felt like you could kick his ass, you know? Well, yeah. He, like, he, he, but he, he had he just was so his his emotion, like the way he presented himself was so strong. Like, he was just so so full of confidence. Well, yeah, because of Christine, you know, and it, but it, it didn't even it didn't feel real in a way. Yeah, but you felt like you didn't really want to fuck with him because he was crazy. Well, yeah, and I mean, and that's why Christine made our top five list. We did a while back of the top five psychotic females. Yes, that's a, because I you remember know, doing that. She's pretty badass. <laughs> and the only thing I'd like to say about Christine is that the most disappointing thing about Christine is the fact that I just read that Stephen King is writing a sequel to it. Coming out next year. Wow! So he did it with The Shining. He might as well do it with Christine, I guess. Yeah. Get back into the well. Yeah, that's too bad. I mean, he's got. You know, maybe he's just out of ideas or something. Could be. I also remember the other thing I remember about Christine. Well, other than the George Thorogood song "Bad to the Bone," I remember being completely in love with Catherine Mary Stewart as well. Those eyes, man. Yeah. It's those yeah. eyes. And the gang. The gang. Buddy and the buddy and the uh, greasers. Cuntingham. Cuntingham. <laughs> <laughs> Love the way he said that. But. You you just like you just like gangs. You just like those greaser gangs. I do That's like all gangs. it is. You're obsessed with greaser gangs. Which brings me to the next movie. Yeah, if I wasn't such a pussy, I'd be The next movie I'm gonna mention <laughs> is simply because Josh likes greaser gangs and it's children of the corn. Nice. You're and, bringing that up? Wow. And, and the only reason I mentioned children, Greaser Gangs and Children of the Corn in the same breath is because it was directed by Fritz Kirsch, who the year after Children of the Corn <laughs> would make Josh's one of Josh's ultimate 80s movies, Tough Turf. Tough Turf, which, yeah. you know, Josh loves him some Tough Turf. <laughs> um, I'm bringing up Children of the Corn simply because... I he find, also made gore. That's true. <laughs> I find Children of the Corn to be entertaining... But I also find it to be upsetting. It's upsetting because they made eight of these motherfuckers. And a sequel. Or, and a remake. And a remake. It's upsetting because it's obvious that Stephen King ripped off a Spanish movie that came out in 1976 called Who Can Kill a Child? Which, if you can get that, it's out on DVD. You should. Um, And it's just... Like, there's some good stuff in Children of the Corn, kind of. Like, there's that opening massacre in a diner that's really good. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Linda Hamilton and Peter Horton make an okay couple. Yeah. And the guy who plays Isaac, John Franklin, and and his sidekick Malachi, Courtney Gaines, are just so fucking creepy. Malachi, man. I mean, I mean those, that, that movie's actually not that bad. I, I thought it would suck. But I, I just thought I'd bring it up because you like your greaser gangs. I could tie it into Fritz Kirsch, and I could say if there's any movies of Stephen King's that deserved seven sequels it's not children of the corn that's for sure but but children of the corn is one of those movies that really sticks with you if you saw oh, it watch it when you were on young. tv i remember i dated this girl once and she told me that if we ever like got married she wanted to name our kid malachi <laughs> and you're just sitting there going yeah no i think i'd rather call my kid he who walks behind the rose than malachi <laughs> You well, crazy bitch, get out! I thought it was pretty cool at the time when she said it, but yeah, yeah, I don't, it's still a pretty cool name though, Malachi. <laughs> anyway, it's kind of evil. It is. It, it does. It certainly <laughs> brings evil to mind. All right. Well, the next one I'll throw out there is um, again another one of my favorites, but again I come from a different perspective than a lot of people, um, and and 
It would be called Maximum Overdrive. Oh, no. (laughs) Oh, yes. Maximum Overdrive, greatest trailer in the history of man. Yes, with the ACDC soundtrack blaring. So this was Stephen King's directorial debut. His only directing debut. Yeah, I guess it was his only one. Anyway, it's it's based on a short story he wrote called Trucks, and it's about... um, it's basically about the Earth, um, machines on Earth being yeah, possessed, basically. A meteor passing the Earth that makes anything mechanical have yeah. a mind of its own. So, for example, like like in Christine, there's cars that drive around yep. running over people. Like, there's a pop machine that, yep. like, shoots pop out at high speeds at a people. A steamroller moment, which still makes me smile. Oh, the steamroller moment, And also yeah. a moment involving a carving knife that makes oh, me the smile. Knife. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And Emilio Estevez, kind yeah. of at his prime. And, yeah, uh, yeah. That was after he had done, like, uh, Outsiders and yeah. Wisdom and stuff. He was just about to do, like, what was the big movie he did? The Young Guns. He right. went on to Young right. Guns after yeah. that. And, um, yeah, and like I said, ACDC did the soundtrack kind of when they were in their prime, sort of right around, well, I guess right around Back in Black. Well, no, it was, maybe a li- oh no, after, it, was it was like after like three albums Fly after on the Black. wall. Yeah, yeah it was yeah. about four, three or four albums after Back in Black. Yeah, but still, it's ACDC. Right. Yeah. How can was... you tell their albums apart? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, <laughs> other than Bon Scott versus Brian Johnson, that's true. That's true. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's a pretty, pretty, pretty cool flick. Like a lot of people think this is this movie's super lame. It is kind of shitty, man. But I, I don't know. <laughs> but it's entertaining. I have good memories about it. And that, that truck with that Green Goblin on it. I, mean, I don't know how he didn't get sued. I know. It's like having the Green, green goblin, goblin from Spider-Man yeah, I don't get is it. like on the front of this truck, like on the grill. Actually, that truck's still kicking around. Someone found the truck somewhere. That'd be fucking awesome. And has awesome. restored it. I would love to making, fucking drive yeah. around with that bad boy. I know. It's making the rounds of like conventions and oh, stuff. Oh, man. <laughs> but I mean, that's a bad movie. Like, it's... I don't think it's bad. It's entertaining. Trucks or what's trucks is bad well even like trucks stephen, is like the even shitty... stephen king has said that it was his moron movie where he just wanted to make this loud moronic movie and i with like, like loud moronic dc blaring on the soundtrack <laughs> i mean the song who made who which is the song they recorded for that movie right. is a pretty fucking rad song yeah like i mean and they use it really good in the movie and you know and there's it's not bad i guess it's not great. You know what? I'll, I, I'll be honest. I haven't seen it in a long if time. If I see it on TV, I'll watch it. I was actually tempted to watch it I, for this podcast, and I, then I'm like, I, I own it. I bought it on DVD. So yeah, I have it too. That's got to say something. I have it too. I don't think it's. Uh, I don't think it's widescreen though. I, I think it's. I think it should come out on Blu-ray, and then we could buy it. Yeah. Hey, hey, Screen Factory, <laughs> get some maximum word drive up in this bitch. <laughs> I mean, I could use that. But that trailer. I just want to talk about the trailer before we move on to the next movie that I'm going to bring up here. I'll put it on our Facebook page. Um, it's the best trailer because it's Stephen King looking at you all cross-eyed. Oh yeah. And they've got the Halloween 3 theme music playing behind him in the background. What, that? that Not the Eat More Days to Halloween, but the actual music that was at the beginning of the movie. And he's like, a lot of people have made my books into movies and they haven't been scary. He's like, so I decided to do it myself. (laughs) And then he's like pointing at you going, I'm going to scare the hell out of you. And I'm like, no, you're fucking not, Steve. Sorry, dude. I think you failed. I mean, you might entertain the shit out of me with a bunch of dopey crap, but you're not going to scare me. Wow. But yeah, we'll post that up on the on the podcast Facebook page so people can check out the glory that is Maximum Overdrive trailer. <laughs> that sounds um, awesome. Next movie I'd like to bring up here is 
probably the worst Stephen King movie I've ever seen. It's a what? little it's a little ditty called Dreamcatcher. Oh man. Which um if you know if you know me, I do not walk out of movies when I've paid for them in theaters. I almost walked out of Dreamcatcher because it was so terrible. Um it's basically about ass parasites <laughs> who are they they're alien ass parasites and they assocites assocites and they take over people's or people, is it pair assites i get it <laughs> uh, but they they take over like people's bodies and then they come out the ass there's scenes of people You're, no way no yeah seriously dude there's scenes of people on toilets passing these fucking alien parasites while grunting and like screaming and this is bad why it's terrible and it's got freckles. That sounds awesome. Freckles is in it. Morgan Freeman. I call <laughs> him. I call him Freckles. <laughs> but um, it's a Jason Lee Freckles. It's a terrible movie. I almost Jason w- Lee. Yeah, Jason Lee. Jason Lee is in this as well. Yeah, as in Mallrats. I know. I, I sorry. I, I just it's just one that just went f- completely under my radar when it came out. It's terrible. Um, and what's upsetting about it is that it has the potential because it's ass parasites or. Pair ass sites, as Josh might say, but it's also it's also directed by Lawrence Kasdan, and this guy made like Silverado, which is like one of my fucking favorite '80s westerns. Like Danny Glover, Kevin Costner, it's comedic, it's fun. He also made The Big Chill, which a lot of you uh, older people, if there's any of you listening, like to dance around your kitchen to ain't too proud to beg to, you know. But you know what I mean? It's just terrible, and that's why I wanted to bring it up and get it out there, just that it's worse. What do you think's the worst? The worst Stephen King movie? Yeah, what's yours? Well, I don't know. I mean, okay. Okay, I can go two ways on this question. I'm not saying worst as an entertainer. I'm saying just outright bad that you were like, oh, I'm going to fucking kill myself. Wow. Um, well, there's been there's been a lot, more so in recent years. You can only name one. <laughs> <laughs> one that I, well, the one that I, I the one that would come to mind first away but i don't even know if he calls stephen king movie i'd probably say the lawnmower man yeah but it's not really a stephen king movie because they like kind of took a stephen king story and then made a movie that the the funny thing about lawnmower man is i remember i i'd read the story back when i was a teenager forgotten about it went and saw the movie in theaters thought it was okay and then i reread the story i'm like what the hell's going on here this has nothing to do. They took the title and that was it. Yeah. And it was like early CG effects, which I'm sure would look terrible today. I have no desire to revisit this movie particularly. That was what, actually, I think that that was one of the first DVDs I bought. I don't even know why. Really? I think because it was cheap. But um, <laughs> yeah, that, that one. I'm don't... glad that the first DVD I bought was better than yours. What was yours? Phantasm. Okay. Yeah. You beat me there. I might not. I might be wrong because it might have been Interview with the Vampire. It might have been Legends of the Fall. Yeah. Legends of the Fall. I don't know. I think Hopefully my grandma you were seeing my, a girl at the my time. My grandma gave it to me. I think your grandma. Okay. Well, so I think the first one I bought was maybe what, what, what grandmas do is is okay. You can't. I, know. I wish. Oh, maybe I should just pretend. Maybe we can edit this, and I can say that my first DVD was Evil Dead or something cool. But <laughs> ah, fuck it. It was it was a lawnmower man. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, and then they made the sequel with Matt Frewer as the as oh, Joe. Yeah. And we, if you if you were around in the eighties, you remember Matt Furrier played Max Headroom. Yeah. So that's enough of that. <laughs> um, go on, then. What's up for you now? All right. So um... <laughs> at least we got the worst out there. At least that's done with. Oh no, there's still some. No, I mean about. our worst. Well, yeah. 
There's still okay. some bad ones. Okay, I do want to talk. Okay, the next the next one I'd say in my list of okay, I, I got we got to put it out there. Spit it. The Shining. I yep. mean, I love it. Love it. I mean, Stanley King Kubrick, doesn't love it, but Stanley can, Kubrick directed. Off. Yeah, King hates it. Um, I love it. Chris, Every, loves it. everyone loves it. It's pretty awesome. And and I watched it recently, and that movie just does not. It, it stands the test of time. It's, yeah, it, it actually gets better every time you see yeah, it. There's just so much creepy in that movie. Yeah. And I mean, and so well shot. It's so Even that well shot. opening scene where they're driving up to the overlook through the mountains and they're using the helicopter shot to track the, the oh, beetle. Yeah, that's a crazy. Such a yeah. great shot, right? Yeah. And then all the shots of Danny like tearing through the hotel on his big wheel yeah. and things like that. Well, just the way it's framed, like the... the, the um, elevators of blood i mean it's just awesome which is which is weird because i remember when it came out on dvd and everything it was full frame because apparently that's what kubrick wanted yeah i heard that too and it misses a lot of stuff and i was glad to see it finally come out on widescreen it was after he passed away and his his i guess his widow was like okay put it out in widescreen yeah or whatever and i mean i have a funny story about the shining and the fact that about three Two and a half years ago, I went to uh, Seattle, Washington, and they have a place down there called Central Cinema. Josh has been there too, I'm assuming. No, I've never been there. No, I know, I know where it it's is. It's like though. a dinner theater. Dinner theater. It's one of those movie well, it's theaters. Not like people fucking dancing around. Well, no, going, no, no. Here's it's, Johnny. No, no, no. It's, it's, <laughs> it's like a dinner theater in the sense that you can go and watch a movie and have dinner they, and eat. So they have like tables, chairs with tables in front. Where you can order a pizza. You can order a hamburger, whatever, and they play the movie while you're eating and nice. you can also drink beer and stuff like that. It's kind of like these new VIP theaters they have. Right. But it, they were playing the shining. So I was like, I'm just started going out with my girlfriend. We'd been together a couple months, two to three months. And we made a weekend to Seattle and we're like fucking shinings playing. How can we not go see the shining? Nice. And in this dinner theater. But the embarrassing thing is about that is even though I love the shining, we had crammed so much into that day that by the time the movie played at 10 o'clock, we were falling asleep in our chairs. Oh my God. All the shining was going. And we were both like, man, I hope no one noticed because that would be friggin' embarrassing. Really? Well, yeah. I hope you woke up when old Jack Torrance went into room 237. Yeah. All work and no play make Jack Doll Boy. <laughs> no, but, but that bath scene. Well, yeah, that's that's the creepiest scene in the entire movie. Yeah. For sure. I also found that Scatman Crothers is like the, the elderly black caretaker. He was very creepy. Yeah, he was. Like when he looked at Danny and. They were having their psychic messages to yeah. each other. You like ice cream, Danny? That's kind of oh, weird. Yeah. And all that red rum stuff. There's just so much in that movie. And and I don't understand why Stephen King doesn't like it. I think it's just because they they changed the ending. Have you read the book? I have read the book. A so long is time. it, other than the ending, is it similar? It's very similar. The ending is the main thing that I think pissed him off because they, they had the maze in the book, but there was maze monsters and all this because I guess Jack... Had completely lost his mind by then. Right. And he was seeing all these hedge monsters and stuff and everything like that. I mean, I don't know. But, I mean, Jack Nicholson, you can't do much better than him there. Yeah, perfectly he was, cast. He was, Shelley Duvall was amazing was as well. threatening. Yeah. And Shelley Duvall, she was just so, like, you know, I can see why she got cast as olive oil and Popeye, too. She's just so homely and so skinny and just but Can meek. you imagine anyone else doing no, that? Like, no, totally meek. It but was made for her. I think we have to agree that shining's top five for sure oh yeah there's no question and we'll forget Probably top we'll three. forget about the 2007 movie that yeah. miniseries maybe we could try and rank these at the end or something maybe but we'll see all right so that's my shining okay okay 
I'm going to hit another one of my favorites, and this is a recent one, which is funny because we haven't really hit any recent ones because there's been a decline in his <laughs> movies. I'm going to bring up The Mist. Yeah. Which is also based on one of his novellas. And this is a novella that everyone was saying, well, it's kind of going to be hard to film that because it's about a fog rolling into a city and like creatures being in the fog. It's kind of like a John Carpenter's The Fog, only with insects. Do you know what book that was in? Um, I think it's different seasons. Okay. But um, Frank Darabont decided to take it on. And Frank Darabont's responsible for the most beloved Stephen King movie, which is Shawshank Redemption. <sighs> which has been the number one <sighs> ranked movie on IMDb for like since IMDb started. And yeah, Josh just sighed because he doesn't like it that we'll much. We'll talk about those ones later. But, but um, <laughs> basically Frank Darabont said, you know what? I'm going to tackle this missed movie and I'm going to see what I can do with it. And he delivered. It's a great movie. It's it's not so much about the monsters as it is about the people because it's about people being trapped in a supermarket. Group dynamics. Yeah. it's group. Another another big king yeah. theme. Yeah. yeah. And it's they're trapped in a supermarket. The fog's all around them. The insects are all around them. The and mist. It's, about, it's the mist. Yeah, the mist, whatever. And it's about... <laughs> And it's about how everyone kind of interacts and how people lose their shit and things like that. Yeah. Thomas Jane plays the main character. Thomas Jane is like so reliable. And he was always. so good. He was good in Punisher too. I don't care what anyone says. He is. He's always good. That but, guy is always good. But he was, he was kind of like this dad, artist dad kind of thing. And at the beginning, you see him painting a picture of the gunslinger from Stephen King's Dark Tower books, which I thought was a kind of a nice touch. Yeah, and um, he goes. Fuck, to the, it's such a good movie. Eh? He goes to the <laughs> he goes to the supermarket, gets trapped there with his son, and then it's just about them trying to escape this mist. Yeah, and these bugs, and you know, and it's pretty intense movie. Uh, the group dynamics definitely make that movie because there's a lot of people in that who are just you know, if you were trapped in a supermarket with people, you would find this would happen because people are not very good in conflict situations and things like that and then it's just got that hell of an ending oh yeah just that ending is the most downbeat most depressing ending in the history of a stephen king movie and it was such a shocker that that ending alone makes me want to recommend that everybody go watch that movie now and also darabont if you get it on dvd or blu-ray watch the black and white version because that's what frank darabont wanted did you watch that version? it did and yeah i haven't seen that one it's pretty effective yeah it's pretty effective, but the studio obviously was like, we can't put out a black and white movie. Yeah, you I know. think it, I'm, I'm going to rewatch that one soon and watch, watch it, it in black and white. You won't regret it. Nice. Nice. Yep. Yeah, it's a pretty great flick. I, uh, yeah, you can't say enough good things about that. And it's actually probably since the 80s. It's the best one since the 80s. It's the best one for since sure. the 80s. Yeah. And what a shocker. But I mean, Frank Darabont, he has had a love affair with Stephen King. Yeah. Um, and um yeah because he did green mile as well i did believe. green mile yep. he did shawshank redemption yep. and um yeah just on a side note like i mean i might as well bring this up now i mean stephen king like is associated with horror um you know because people do tend to peg people in and mm-hmm. and um stephen king you know when people hear the name they think horror but there has been a number of films based on stephen king's non-horror work which are all very very critically acclaimed in particular Shawshank. Very successful films. Yeah. Shawshank and Green Mile. Now they're not my favorite Stephen King movies because I do like the campy stuff and I like being entertained and uh, I didn't, I didn't really get it with Shawshank Redemption. I still don't. I enjoy it. Yeah. I mean to rewatch it, but I just, it didn't grab me the way it seems to 
grabbed a lot of people. Oh, yeah. And, and another one that kind of everyone talks about is Stand By Me. Yeah, Stand By Me. And I also wrote down Dolores Claiborne just because... Well, yeah. just because it was directed by Taylor Hackford, you know, who did Officer and a Gentleman. But yeah, that's I mean, there more was of all a these thriller kinda... than it is uh, anything else. But Stand By Me is an interesting one because it's another one of his coming of age yeah. kind of things. But it's not horror at all. No, it's just about him, about a group of kids growing up in the in the fifties or sixties. I think it was the sixties. Yeah, who just they hear about a kid in their town has died on the tr- railroad tracks and they decide to go find the body. Yeah. And it's kind of morbid, but they run into one of Josh's favorite things, the greaser gang run by Keith or Sutherland. Oh yeah. I and forgot it's, about that. And it's just a really fun little movie. Didn't it's, they like hit nail mailboxes yeah. with the baseball yeah, bat? Yeah. Oh, and they yeah, have okay. switchblades and all that. I haven't it, seen that. Forever. It's just a fun little movie. It's, it's directed by Rob Reiner who did spinal tap. Yeah. Which he'll forever be. I'll forever <laughs> love Rob Reiner just for yeah. spinal tap alone. But he also did When Harry Met Sally and stuff like that. And, and that's a fun little movie. And it, it's interesting to see that switch dynamic from horror to something whimsical like Stand By Me. So who were the kids in that again? Um, it was Corey Feldman. River, River Phoenix. River Phoenix, yeah. Will Wheaton. And I cannot honestly remember who the fourth. Oh, Jerry O'Connell. Jerry O'Connell. Yeah, right, right. Jerry o- fat Jerry O'Connell. <laughs> before he lost all the weight and buffed himself up. Yeah. And then was in terrible movies like Tomcats. Got his penis ripped off. Yeah, that was pretty fucking Piranha, awesome. Though. Yeah, yeah, that was awesome. I admit that. Yeah, because the when Jerry O'Connell's final words in Piranha 3D are wet t-shirts. <laughs> how can how can you how can you deny? That was pretty funny. Um, so just one one other word on Darabont um, that I wanted to bring up, just because I was I was thinking about King things that have not been ad- ad- adapted yet. And one of my favorites, and I know it's one of Chris, Chris's favorites too, is called The Long Walk. And yep. it was uh, it was a novella from the Bachman books, which was uh, some books he wrote between yeah. like in the late 70s, it's, early 80s. And that same set is The Running Man. The Running Man, and one called Road Work, and one called Rage, yep. which I know King's actually pulled. Apparently, when you buy the Bachman books now, there's no more Rage. Really? I have the original... Yeah, I have it too, but yep. you can't. Apparently, you can't even get that oh, book anymore. Oh, that's good. It's good to know. Yeah, interesting. But um, anyway, I I heard that Darabont has optioned the Long Walk. Oh, that would be awesome. So we'll see. There's a movie coming. I don't know when that happened. It was on Wikipedia, so I'm not yeah. sure. There, how there's accurate. a movie out there called um, The Human Race, just like a foreign movie. It's kind of like the Long Walk, where it's about these people who are forced to run this race like this foot race or something and if they step off the track they get murdered nice by this unseen entity and, that, and it doesn't look very good but when i saw that trailer i instantly thought the long walk and when i instantly thought the long walk i'm like that would make a damn fine movie and to hear that darabont might be doing it i i really hope that happens i do too so basically for people who are unaware the long walk is basically about uh it's in a future society where basically all the teenage males like a teenage males are made to go on this sort of marathon where they have to walk like the eastern u.s on the highway and if they stop or no if they go under a certain kilometer like i think if they go under five kilometer sorry miles sorry u.s people if they go under five five miles an hour or something then they get warned and if they get three warnings they get killed yeah 
And you have to been, keep moving. It's kind of like speed with people, I guess. Yeah, you, you just you cannot stop walking. No breaks, no food, no rest. Yeah, and it's about them, like, their feet getting all bloody and raw yeah. and, and just, like, ex- exhaustion and all that. It, it's very great. And the and basically, if you're the last person, if you win the long walk, you get to live. Yeah. I believe this. I should reread that. Freaking I ha- awesome. I have the Bachman books at home, so I should probably check that out again. And it really sticks with people. I mean, people that you wouldn't even think are horror fans. If people have read this story, they I've, know this I've story. I've loved The Long Walk for a long yeah. time. It's a great story. So anyway, yeah, hopefully Mr. Darabont does it and does it well because he does well at most things he does. He better. Even though I don't happen to like Shawshank. And- he better. <laughs> And Mr. Darabont, if you happen to be listening to our little humble podcast, he loves Shawshank. <laughs> I probably will love Shawshank again. <laughs> I just don't know why it's number one on IMDb well, over has been, fucking Star Wars. Well, you know, over Pulp Fiction. Over Pulp Fiction, over Casablanca. I don't understand. Yeah. So I guess I just don't understand why the, the mainstream's love for it. I just don't share that huge love that people seem to have and you know even people like i find a lot of people that aren't particular like huge movie fans it's their favorite movie a lot of people yeah you'll say what's your favorite movie and a lot of people will say shawshank redemption and i never get it Hmm. because there's so many movies out there it just doesn't seem to me to be one that would be someone's favorite freckles isn't it though I don't know. It feels really racist calling him Freckles. I don't know why. I, I don't. He's got freckles, though. He does have freckles. But anyway, <laughs> freckles. I'd like to jump off of your um, Bachman thing and talk about a couple Bachman movies that were adapted from his okay. Richard Bachman days. And we've mentioned the we've mentioned one of them. It's called The Running Man. Yeah, Arnold Schwarzenegger movie, which that is Rob co- Zombie's apparently going to remake. What? No, I was kidding with that thirty-one well, thing. Okay, well, it's, it's oh yeah, it's right, but. Uh, it's kind of like, in a way, it's it's interesting because it's about a future society where people are criminals are sent into this game show to like you know take on gladiators basically who shoot lightning from them and everything. It's Arnold Schwarzenegger movie, so you know what you're getting into going in. It's a fun little movie. It's not great. It's directed by Paul Michael Glazer, who was Starsky on yeah. Starsky and Hutch, and it's got Richard Dawson from Family Feud as this dickish game show host and it's kind of fun so i thought i'd mention that because that's another that's like an action movie based on a stephen king like action sci-fi based on a stephen king movie and then the other one is um thinner right which i just actually rewatched about a month ago really yeah Why? they had it at the library i was like let's check this out and it's actually not too bad it's about a guy who like accidentally runs over a gypsy lady and he's cursed by that that lady's husband to he rubs her his cheek and says thinner, and he's like overweight. He's been. Trying... She just goes like that thinner, or does she go? Thinner? He goes thinner. Oh, yeah. And they've been trying oh, it's to a guy. Like, the gun. It's a guy. It's the husband of the lady who oh. got run over, and it's Robert John Burke. Oh, he's great. the main actor, and yeah. it, we love him. He's he's cool. Yeah, he's in Rescue. He was one of the guys in Rescue Me. He was Tommy's brother. It's yeah, a great he was, show by the way. He was also in uh, RoboCop Three, which is Josh's, oh, yeah. Josh's favorite. <laughs> but um. He, he he's over 300 pounds and suddenly he just starts stop starts losing all this weight 
And it's because of the curse, so he has to go after the gypsies, and he gets the help of Joe Mantegna, who plays this Italian mobster and stuff like that. Joe Mantegna is yeah. an Italian mobster? Yeah, that's, that's a stretch, huh? <laughs> but it, 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 I guess he's usually a cop. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it, it wasn't too bad. It was directed by Tom Holland, who made Fright Night and Child's Play. I thought you just said it was directed by Paul Michael Glazer. No, I said or, Running Man was directed oh, by fuck, Paul Oh, fuck. I'm Michael getting Glazer. all confused. Well, you stopped drinking. I know. I'm too old. But, uh, yeah, it, it, it was okay. I just wanted to mention it in passing just to see that, to prove that even his stuff that he wrote under pseudonyms got made into movies. Yeah. I saw that movie in Winnipeg. I don't know why. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So, um, wow, that was quite the tangent. Okay. So we're going to go back to our favorites here. So um, I guess the next one I'll bring up is um, is Cujo. Yeah, I like Cujo. Which is um, yeah, it's a it's a underrated isolation movie about uh, with D Wallace and uh, who's uh, Danny Pintero. People know as a very you know acclaimed horror actress. D Wallace. She was called D Wallace Stone. Yeah. at the time. Yeah, and Danny Pintero from Who's the Boss? Who's the Boss? Oh, the the little kid from Who's the Boss? Eighties bad eighties sitcom with Tony Danza. Right. Yeah, um, and it and, was directed and Alyssa by, Milano before by she Lewis got super T. hot. What's that? And Alyssa Milano before she got super hot. Oh yeah, yeah, that was right before Teen Steam. Oh yeah, and Embrace <laughs> of the Vampire. <laughs> Not that I've seen Teen Steam. Yes, you have. You owned it. Oh, yeah. Okay, go on. I did sell it. Directed by okay, directed by Lewis Teague, who did Alligator. Yep. So no stranger and to Navy animals. Seals. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> Holy nerd alert. Yeah. All right. So basically, it's D. Wallace and Danny um, are trapped in a car. So it's mother and, and son. And they're trapped in a car being sort of stalked by this rabid St. Bernard. Yeah. And a very effective isolation mm-hmm. movie that really takes advantage of the claustrophobia of being in the car. I always remember one shot in that movie where it's like a 360 shot inside the car when it's getting really hot oh, yeah, yeah. yeah it's it's a it's a pretty great flick not not in the not up there in my top five or anything but um well actually it might be anyway it's, it's one of these ones that you can watch like every 10 it's, years or so but you can't underrated. watch it over and over very again. underrated very underrated yeah and pretty pretty fun movie but um well, again f- very memorable I say fun what's well, i thought it was fun yeah because she has to like friggin poke a friggin pen in her kid's neck because he can't breathe from the oh, heat yeah, exhaustion yeah that's fun you got a weird idea of fun buddy well i mean <laughs> by fun i mean entertaining I i'm not I bored know. it's a good movie it's a good genre. that's all we're saying it's a good it's a, genre movie we're just saying it's a good movie yeah all right so next next well you've put me at a loss here because i didn't bring a lot of notes on stephen king admittedly um I'd just like to mention in passing another one from the 2000s that's pretty good. It's called 1408. Right, the one with with John Cusack? John Cusack as a reporter being stuck in a hotel room that he can't seem to get out of. I only bring it up because it was a surprisingly decent little movie. And it's got Samuel L. Jackson in it as the hotel clerk. And it's kind of an insane little flick. I would say check that one out. And I've got a story. Oh, bring it. I'll talk about the movie Sleepwalkers. Oh no! Which um, that was a movie, one of the many Mick Garris. Stephen one Jones. of the '90s movies. I think it might be the only theatrical release of Mick Garris's. So Mick Garris is a director. 
No, Critters 2 was a theatrical release. Stephen King adaptation. Oh, Stephen King, okay. So, Mick Garris is a director that, um, kind of like Frank Darabont, but in like a not a good way. He he took on... Not particularly a bad way, a lower scale way. And, well, basically, he's built his entire career on his Stephen stuff King isn't crap. Hmm? His stuff isn't really crap or anything. No? No. Okay, give me three good Mick Garris Stephen King adaptations. Go. R- Riding the Bullet's pretty decent. That's okay. The Stand. I haven't seen it. For what it is, The Stand is pretty good. Yeah. And, you know, I can't give you three because yeah, Sleepwalkers <laughs> is kind of shit. So anyway, he did build his, he has built his career on it. And he seems like a cool guy. So I won't be too hard on Mick Garris. And, and also, I'll be honest, I haven't seen a lot of the TV adaptations of Stephen King. But Sleepwalkers, I do remember because, <laughs> because I remember this girl came over to my house and rented Sleepwalkers. And I don't know if I would have rented it myself. And anyway, we watched it, and then um, I went outside for a smoke and came back, and she was naked in my house. And it was just a really bizarre memory. It's, so great, that, it's great to come back from having a cigarette while you're watching a movie about incest and have a chick <laughs> naked in your, in your I, house. That's what I always thought was really weird about it. But uh, anyway, it was a very good night. But um, but yeah, I just thought it was a really weird a weird turn-on for, for, for someone so if you're out there, uh, th- thanks. <laughs> thanks. <laughs> Good way th- to thank, thank you, Mick Garris. Thanks, but, Mick Garris, for getting Josh laid to your creepy incest movie. But overall... Um, You'll be happy to know it wasn't his mother. It was just some girl oh, who Jesus. was turned on by incest. <laughs> Jesus Christ. But it was kind of like cat people. I don't think they were like... I think they turned into like yeah, they were cat monsters, monsters or something, and then had sex. They were total cat monsters. So it wasn't really it was stupid. It was stupid. I I don't like that movie. I don't, but it had a cool cover. Well, I guess so. And it had cameos from a bunch of people. Oh yeah, it had cameos like like uh, Joe Dante and uh, Tobey Hooper and guys Tom like that. Savini. Yeah, yeah. But uh, I'd like to bring up Dead Zone. Yeah, because it's Christopher Walken. It's. Uh, I don't really remember a lot of Dead Zone. You've seen it more recently than me. Yeah, I've seen it more recently. And, and, and you thought it was all right. I guess you didn't really eh. care for it that much. The only reason I bring it up is because we were talking about all these directors being paired with Stephen King, like Frank Darabont and, and John Carpenter and guys like that. Uh, the reason Dead Zone's notable is because it's David Cronenberg who directed it, which yeah. most of you guys will know from like the remake of The Fly in 1986 with Jeff Goldblum. And, you know, just these bizarre body horror movies like Shivers and, you know, um, what's another one he did? Uh, Rabid and The yeah. Brood and things like the Fly. that. And he did Scanners, which just came out on Criterion yeah. Blu-ray. And he's a very interesting cat. I met him, almost met him once because I, I had a job pumping gas as a teenager. And uh, he came into, he lived around where I lived was working and he came in he had pumped his own gas I was on full serve and the girl in the other booth called over she goes hey do you know who I just served I'm like what what are you talking about she's like David Cronenberg I'm like no oh wow and I thought the guy looked familiar from a distance too but how nerdy would that be a guy running over in coveralls reeking a gas and be like <laughs> hey man David Cronenberg you're the best <laughs> yeah but I just thought I'd bring up Dead Zone because it's an important movie in the Stephen King groupings just because of the david cronenberg connection yeah that's true i mean and it's one of the most serious roles christopher walken's probably taken on apart from deer hunter that's true and it had that gnarly 
scissor scene. Yeah, too. the bathtub scene. Yeah. But I mean, I haven't seen it long enough. It seems to be getting a lot more love than it used to get, but I I know Josh doesn't. He's kind of iffy on it. It was okay. I, I should it, revisit it. It didn't. Yeah, I, I wasn't as stoked as I thought I'd yeah, be. I should revisit it in yeah. the future, I think. So we're at um we're just shy of an hour and a half. So we're going to I think we should wrap this up in yep. the next few minutes. Yep. So yeah, the only other ones I want to mention that are notable from that time period are Firestarter with Drew Barrymore. Terrible. <laughs> Which yeah, I don't really remember. Mark L. Lester, what have you done? Yeah, it was directed by Mark. You made Lester. Commando in class of nineteen eighty four. Yeah, what have you done? Yeah, <laughs> and the other one is Cat's Eye, which is another anthology. Kind of Louis Teague, Louis Teague, and uh, had had a pretty cool um, soul sucking demon. Was there a soul? Oh, it was yeah, a the... soul sucking little troll, and it Drew was Drew Barrymore, right? Yeah, yeah, created by Carlo Rambaldi, who also created E.T. Nice. So. And um, and then there was another story with Robert Hayes from Airplane having to like walk around the ledge of this yep. like skyscraper. Yeah, and James Woods trying to quit smoking. Yeah, so yeah, I'd like to watch it again. Pretty fun. It was mem- I remember it, but um, I don't know how good it was. And and I would just like to also bring up um, for the TV part of this mm-hmm. segment, which we're not going to talk much about. I'd like to bring up Salem's Lot from 1979, right. the two parter and. I would really like to re-see this because... Toby Hooper, right? Toby Hooper, which yep. is another, you know, going back to our Texas Chainsaw talk a little earlier, he's another guy who's well, a big name back. that have made Stephen King. And I remember the main vampire is very Nosferatu looking, very yeah. white-skinned, pale, bald. Yeah, like the Max Shrek. I, I yeah. think I'd really like to revisit that in the future too. Yeah, I'd like to... That's it on disc, so, right? So, yeah, I think it is. So let's just wrap this up here. I think you want to yeah, call it a day. Let's just wrap this up with our, our list of our favorite Stephen King movies and our unfavorite Stephen King movies, and then we'll call her a day. Okay. So I think we've agreed that if you're going to go out right now, if you're not that familiar with Stephen King, the movies you want to see are Carrie. Yep. Shining. Yep. Mist. Yep. What else we got in there? I'd probably put Creepshow on there. Cujo. I'd probably put Christine over Cujo. Christine over Cujo, okay. Yeah. And then I would say if you want to see some really shitty Stephen King, what are we going to hit up? I'm not going to say Dreamcatcher because I don't wish that on my worst enemy. What's a pretty bad Stephen King movie? Well, I think whatever I said earlier. I wouldn't say Firestarter because that'll just bore you to tears. You said Lawnmower Man. Lawnmower Man. Eh. Let's just say if you watch anything outside of the of 1991, you're kind of it's kind of a crapshoot i i'd probably say sleepwalkers unless a girl yeah. brings it over and you're a single guy unless then she, watch if, it uh, yeah and, <laughs> and if for some reason she gets turned on by you know mommy di- mommy mommy son sex then seize the moment you've got an in my friend you've got an in <laughs> on that note i think we'll uh wrap this up so um thanks a lot for listening yep. and uh please check out our facebook page um um gbw podcast yeah, GDW- gbw podcast if you yep. just search for that in facebook and you can also go facebook.com slash gbw podcast yep. and um, you can also look for us on itunes and please uh rate the show accordingly you can hit us up on the web at www.thevideograveyard.com you can also hit us up on twitter at the same thing at video graveyard great and thanks a lot for listening so uh um this is josh signing off and this is chris and we will talk to you later okay bye <laughs>